there, and welcome back to Season 1 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name's Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Tammy Lashway as we discuss the growth competency of culture. And um, we've been going through a series, a special series, where we sit down and um, take the AGWM competencies um, and then apply them to, to Africa and what they look like in context. So that's been a series that we've been walking through and um, learning and growing. Um, Global workers have the uh, challenge of adapting to culture. And uh, Tammy does a phenomenal job of of helping giving practical examples and um, also some great content um, that we can put into action in our everyday life. And so she tells stories of, you know, of, of arriving in France and things she learned in France. She talks about her time in Madagascar and then, and then her time in Tanzania and um, just phenomenal. And, and Pat and I are, are asking questions and going back and forth on that. And it's just great, I think, um, for us to continue to learn and grow. And I think Tammy highlights that so well in this interview that um, we need to be lifelong learners. And uh, that is something for sure that Tammy and Nate both are. They're uh, they're lifelong learners. And um, I got to see that uh, up front. And um, when we arrived in Madagascar, um, they're learners. They loved um, spending time in the car. I remember Nate would say he would just drive and uh, put... um, Asked some of the Malagasy pastors to go with him and put some drinks in the car, and they would just drive and um, drive down the road. And uh, he would ask questions, and the things that he learned, and the cultural insights he he learned in in those drives were fascinating and insightful. And then he was able to use and put those into practice um, in his everyday life and in everyday mission. And so we do uh, appreciate um, both Nate and Tammy, and uh, really looking forward to learning from Tammy again today. As we go on this journey, learning about culture and how we apply that and um, taking this AGWM competency and then putting it in a contextual um, place for each and every missionary on the continent uh, in Africa, learning to grow and work um, in this place that we call home. And so um, lessons learned every day. And, and honestly, as I've, I've thought about this um, interview, it's made me reminisce and think about the the cultural lessons that, man, I just missed. And uh Wish you could go back and uh, wish you could do over and you can't do that. But what we can do is, is we can continue to grow and we can take those lessons that we learned from the past and put them into place um, as we move forward. So we do want you to encourage you to continue to listen to these um, special episodes and these on these competencies. We'll continue to follow. There'll be ones on Bible and theology and missiology and spiritual formation that, that will follow. And I think you will grow from each and every one of those and um, do want to do want to thank our sp- Sponsor for this episode, agwmafrica.org, for an increasingly redeemed and transformed Africa, 50 countries, 257 training centers, 404 missionaries, and 79,106 indigenous churches. Discover what you can do and how you can be engaged at agwmafrica.org. That's agwmafrica.org. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go.
Well, greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here again today um, with Tammy Lashway and Pat Hurst as we continue our discussion on the AGWM uh, training competencies. Pat, we're so excited to, to, to unpack these once again today. I'm going to turn, them, turn this conversation over to you and uh, as you introduce Tammy. Hey, Aaron. Uh, thanks. It's great to be back again today. I'm sure I'm having a lot of fun uh, going through uh, these competencies, talking with really a, a lot of great individuals who are uh, qualified to talk to us about these competencies. And that is certainly uh, the case again today. Uh, really excited to have uh, Tammy Lashaway with us uh, as we talk about our topic today, which is understanding culture. Um, Tammy and her husband, Nate, uh, uh, longtime missionaries in Madagascar, uh, recently uh, transferred to Tanzania, where they serve as the uh, zonal leaders. Uh, and then Tammy, uh, as well, serves on the global uh, competency team for understanding culture. And so she's very much an integral part of writing out the, the goals and objectives of of learning culture. Uh, she teaches this uh, in the summer missionary training and now in the October uh, and March trainings for missionary associates. So, uh, Tammy, we are excited to have you here with us today. And uh, so why don't we, as we just begin, uh, maybe we could just start with, first of all, uh, if you could help us uh, just explain to us what is culture and why do we need to understand it? Oh, well, you know, simply put culture is the way we do things when we were going to africa the first time um, i knew that african culture would be different than american culture but on our way to madagascar we stopped in france for a year and to learn french and i falsely assumed that france would be a lot like america except that they spoke french boy was i ever wrong France has their own way of doing things. The secretary at the school was so kind and helpful. And I remember one day I went into her office and thanked her and I leaned over to give her a hug of thanks, of thankfulness. And she backed away and said, oh, no, no, we do not hug. We kiss. <laughs> France has its own way of doing things. Sure. Each culture has its own way of doing things. For sure. Pat, do you have any stories of culture and, and, uh, and learning the hard way? <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, I think probably one of the biggest discoveries for me was is that um, people just don't act randomly, um, you know. And so what seemed odd and disconnected to me and senseless uh, really uh, is just that people are acting in, you know, in accordance with their own uh, their own worldview and, and their values. And, um, boy, I, I, no single story really jumps out at me right now, but boy, I know as a first term worker, I wish I could just go back and relive some of those things again. Um, so I don't know, Tammy, what, uh, how would you say, how would you develop your definition of, of culture? Well, you know, culture is like an onion. There are many layers. And the first layer is the outer layer, the things that we see. Like when you get off the airplane, what is it that we see? We see styles and objects and we hear music and food. And in today's world of globalization, um, we need to be careful not to make assumptions that just because we share some of those things, like we see smartphones and iPads, but that doesn't mean that we necessarily share the same values and worldviews. 
And then as we move into the onion, we come to the layer of behavior. Behaviors are the things that we learn from our parents, our teachers, our community. It begins at birth and we're not even aware that we're being enculturated. Cultural norms in behavior create predict predictability, stability, and comfort. And you know, this is where culture shock comes into play because when you move to a new culture, all of a sudden the cultural norms have changed and nothing feels predictable. Nothing feels stable and everything feels uncomfortable. Learning a second culture does not come as easily or naturally as our first culture because we have to override the first culture in order to stay open and curious to a new and different way of doing things. And then as we continue into the onion, we come to the inner layers of the beliefs, values, and worldview. Culture is not only the way we do things, it's why we do it that way. Beliefs, values, and worldview answer the question of why. These are interior and unseen. Even the people within the culture would have a hard time articulating them, and yet they drive everything we do. Different cultures have different values. And this is where the cultural rub happens. Some cultures value formality and other cultures value informality. You know, we're all from America where you can wear pretty much whatever you want to wear anywhere you want to wear it. We value self-expression and informality. Right now, we're living in Tanzania, which is a very formal culture. They're very protocol-driven. So when my husband, Nate, is going to a meeting, he is told what to wear, not only wear a suit, but wear this color of suit, and wear this color of shirt, and wear this color of tie. And when you get to the meeting, he is told where to sit, depending on who he represents at the meeting that day. Another example is that some cultures are very people-oriented and others are task-oriented. In America, if we come late to a meeting, we sneak into the back and we try to be really quiet. We don't want to disrupt the meeting because the meeting is the important thing that's happening. But when we were in Madagascar our first term, um, the people would come late to a meeting and the whole meeting would stop. And that person would go around and shake hands and greet every single person. And then they would sit down and the meeting would start again until the next late person came in. And, and that was because they valued the people at the meeting more than the agenda of the meeting. Another example is that some cultures are event oriented while others are time oriented. Now, American culture is very time oriented. And you can tell that by the things that we say. We say, Time is money, I'm running out of time, quit wasting my time. We treat time as if it were a commodity. Our first term in Madagascar, I was at a women's meeting and they were doing a gift exchange and it was taking a very long time. The, I finally, I was sitting there thinking of all the things that I could be doing if we could finish this and I could go home and then I could get all these things done. Well, so being a, a first-term worker, I went to the women's director and I made a suggestion of how we could make this go a little quicker. I will never forget what she said to me. She turned to me and she said, but then it would be over. And I realized, oh, this is about being together. 
This is about the event. They want it to last longer, not shorter. So different cultures have different values. And, you know, it's not that one is right and the other is wrong. We have a lot to learn from one another. And I have learned a lot about the character of God from the values of our African brothers and sisters. I appreciate the values that I grew up with, but I am learning to appreciate the values of our Africans, and I'm even learning to adopt some of them. Now, I know I'm talking to the choir here. As global workers, we know these things, but living them out is a challenge. Living them out takes us from being culturally aware to culturally proficient. And because culture is like an onion, it isn't something that we finish learning our first term and then we're done. Learning language and culture is not something we check off our list. When it comes to language and culture, we want to be lifelong learners. We never want to assume that we know all there is to know. Tammy, as you've shared, it's made me think of um, one of the first medical clinics I went out um, with feast out into the bush. We were out in the bush. And, you know, I'm taught in American medicine. You ask you it's old cart, onset, location, duration, all these symptoms. You ask a lot of questions and then you narrow it down to get to the diagnosis. So we're sitting there and the patient's coming in and I'm asking my, you know, 15, 20 questions. And every time I'd get past three or four, they put their head down and, and just shake their head and, and they'd say something to him. And I didn't, at that time, didn't understand enough Malagasy to figure out what they were saying. So finally, and I said, I said, well, Feast, what are they saying? He said, oh, they're saying you don't know what you're doing. I said, what do you mean they're saying I don't know what I'm doing? He said, well, they go to the witch doctor and they ask three questions and then they know what's wrong with them. You're taking 15 or 20 questions to figure out what's wrong with them. And they just know that they might as well just go to the witch doctor because they can get it right in three questions. You don't know very much. And it's culture in the lens that they look through and their experiences had been going to the witch doctor. And now they have Fanafudi Vaza, the white guy there. And um, how's that going to work? And it, as you talked about it, this made me, made me think of that. That's right. And a difference in culture cultures. Amen. So Tammy, let me ask you a question. Um, You know, Aaron asked me, uh, you know, what do I remember from my first term? And wow, all sorts of things start coming to mind as you just went through there about time and uh, events oriented or, or task and culture and all that kind of stuff. Just when I look back, really got me into big trouble. And then it led me into a state of culture shock. And you just kind of lightly touched upon that. Um, But you're base camp leaders and and you've got uh, new missionaries coming and they're arriving for the first time and you're seeing them go through culture shock. And so with your own experience of culture shock and, and I'm sure you probably experienced it again, moving from Madagascar to Tanzania, but your own experiences and then watching, um, you know, uh, base campers come, what advice would you give to someone about how to work their way through culture shock? Mm, That's a good question. You know, I think that we want to stay open and curious. Everyone has a reason for what they're doing. We just don't know what it is yet. And we, and another Um, Our missionary mentor told us to be careful about making a quick judgment. So if we, the longer that we can hold back judging a situation, 
and keep asking questions, keep being curious, the more we find out as to why they're doing what they're doing. But when, as soon as we make a judgment, we're no longer open and curious. We've assigned a value to that. That's very good. So, yeah. Awesome. You know, our first, our first term, we were advised to do two things, learn language and build relationships. You know, this did two things for us. It moved us from being culturally unaware to culturally aware. We were not yet culturally proficient, but at least we were more aware. And it also built a foundation upon which we could engage in ministry in that context. I want to be honest, learning language is not easy for me. Um, it, well, in truth, Nate and I both do fine in language school. But then when we get out of language school, Nate has this really high need to connect and talk to people. And so he's out there talking and laughing with people. And everyone's enjoying it, except me. I'm cringing on the inside because Nate is not conjugating his verbs correctly. And his syntax is all out of order. But, you know, they don't seem to notice. They're listening to his heart. And they want to connect just as much as he wants to connect. And so I know that as I'm talking, that some of you out there listening, you're like me, and we don't want to talk until we know we have it right. <laughs> so I just want to encourage us, take a risk. Go ahead and butcher the language in the, in, in the goal of making a friend, of, of connecting with people. And then those of you who are like Nate, I encourage you to, you know, keep talking, but go back to the books and improve your language skills so that you can communicate even better. And then um, language learning is not only um, about learning words and communicating, it's also a window into the culture. When we first came to Tanzania for years, we went to Swahili language school and we learned the word pole. And we were taught that it means I'm sorry. So later, people are saying things to us like, oh, pole kwa kazi, pole kwa safari and we're thinking you're sorry for my work you're sorry for my trip i don't understand why would you be i'm happy i'm happy i got to go on a trip why are you sorry about it well as we kept digging deeper and asking questions we came to understand that they weren't saying they were sorry they were saying i recognize that you're doing a lot of work and i'm with you in it we're together in this in the ministry and the work of god mm -hmm. and that reveals this collectivistic, this group culture that values and honors people. You know, another example is in Madagascar. We, we learned Malagasy and we learned the active tense of the verbs. We memorized all these verbs. And then our tutor said, now we never use these verbs. We only speak in the passive form and the words are totally different. So, but for example, they would never say Aaron made the rice. They would say, the rice was made by Aaron. And so this indirect communica communication style is a window into their values that we would never want to lift up a single person. It's very much a collectivistic, a group culture, um, and they want to put the, the emphasis on the object. And partly, I wonder too, if, if this is because they don't want to draw attention um, to any individuals, they don't want to draw the attention of the unseen spiritual powers to any one individual. So in a way, they're protecting that person by not lifting them up. So it's just interesting to think about um, how language 
is a window into the culture. Mm. Tammy, it makes me think of, we you know, when we were in Burkina, um, you know, working in the medical clinic, I was working in a medical clinic and um, trying to learn more. Eh? And um, one thing that really stuck out to me is you talk about an insight in language is an insight into the culture. Um, they would say, um, Palu Taramam, or, or malaria has me, not I have malaria. And so in America, in a Western context, you know, I caught a cold or I, I, I got sick with malaria or whatever. But their idea was that actually the malaria had them or the malaria, the, or the flu had them or whatever it was and it allowed an insight into the way they see they saw disease i'm not qualifying it better or worse i'm just saying the way they saw disease and sickness was different than the way i saw it and it really gave an insight into the culture once again taking language and it just looks like syntax but really it affected the way they thought and processed um, sickness and disease and so learning language is more than learning language it's learning culture Mm mm-hmm You know, building relationships, if you know me at all, you know that I'm a book reader and I love to read, but reading books does not tell me about culture like the people of that culture can tell me about their own culture. So we need to go to the primary source. And, you know, again, I struggle um, to push myself to take those risks, to get out there and and go travel with them and um, to, if we're invited to an engagement, sometimes I'm tempted to say, oh, no, I can't go. I have this quarterly report I have to get done. Um, But I just want to encourage all of us, keep engaging, keep accepting those invitations. Um, Put yourself out there um, in order to connect. And find cultural interpreters. Find several cultural interpreters. Our missionary mentor used to tell us to read, he would encourage us to read the Malagasy newspaper. And he would tell us, don't just read one newspaper, you need to read three or four newspapers. Because each newspaper has a slant or a bias or an agenda. And if you only read one, you're just going to have one perspective. But if you read three or four, you're going to have a better understanding of of the news of what's happening in Madagascar. And so it is with cultural interpreters, all of us, all people have our own perspective, our own slant. And if we're only going to one person, then we're only seeing their perspective. But if we're going to three or four or five different people and talking about the same subjects, interacting with them, we're going to have a better picture of the culture. And that's one thing I saw Nate do here, Tammy, but Nate, Nate and Tammy both, they would get in a car and Nate would drive into the countryside and he'd put as many Malagasy's as he could legally put in a car and they would drive into the countryside and Nate would just ask questions. You know, it wasn't Nate telling them all about America or what, um, what was America like? Nate didn't do that. I, I, I saw it firsthand. They would ask them questions and they would try to say, what's it like with America? And Nate would deflect that question. And he'd always come back to wanting to learn and um, learn and go on trips and learn. And it was something that I learned from him in the process that, man, if you have people in a car, it's your prime time. But our our tendency and um, Nate modeled it very well, our tendencies to talk about ourselves and talk about how great America or wherever you come from but really it doesn't matter what America is like. We're there to learn their culture, to be a part of their culture and to understand um, as much as we can. So Nate and Tammy, I saw that and they modeled it, modeled it very, very well. Tammy, you're a lifelong learner and um, that's very evident. 
what can and so these building relationships and language learning, I, I make the assumption or hypothesis that that's not all over in your first term. That you come off your first term, you understand all the language, you under have all the relationships you need, and then you do <laughs> then you do other things for the rest of your missionary career. Um, so what can we do in our second and third and fourth term and beyond to continue learning and growing um, as you've highlighted? Well, yeah, you know it. Certainly, we do not learn all that we need to learn in the first term. Um, but there is a tendency or a temptation to plateau once we've reached a certain level of competency. Like, we know where things are. We know who to go to to get this or that. Like, our life, when, when we first arrive, is overwhelming. But it's kind of like learning how to drive. When you first start learning how to drive, it's overwhelming trying to remember to do all these things at the same time. Well, now we do it without thinking about it. And so it is in culture. When we first arrive, it's overwhelming. But God has given human beings this amazing ability to adapt. And after time, it's not so overwhelming anymore. We adjust and we figure things out. We know who to go to or who to call. If we don't know, we know who to call to find out. And so we are tempted to plateau. And if we're not careful, we'll stay at that same level of proficiency for the rest of our career. But what a gift to the people that we work with if we can continue to stay curious and humble and maintain the posture of a learner and keep growing to understand the why behind their behaviors. Then we'll not only communicate the gospel in the language they understand, but we'll communicate to their questions, to their needs, so that they can not only receive the gospel, but they can act on it and live it and be transformed by it. This is why we learn culture. This intentionality moves us closer to being cultural insiders. The other morning I was reading 1 Corinthians 9, and verse 22, which we know it as, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Well, that morning I was reading the Passion Translation, and it says, I have adapted to the culture of every place I've gone so that I could more easily win people to Christ. But that's a great theme verse for this podcast. Uh, Tammy, I like what you're saying about this tendency to plateau. And, and when you arrive, uh, you're just, you're really struggling and you're working hard to try to find, uh, uh, you know, where do you go to uh, get your fruit and vegetables and where do you go to uh, accomplish this errand? And you're learning all these things about your national church and, and everything. And uh, I remembered, I came to, a, I didn't realize it. I must've come to a point, I don't know, one of my terms where, I was just stuck in my ways. I had plateaued. And I realized it whenever a, mission, a new missionary associate had arrived. And they started asking me all these questions. And I realized I just, I just was, had assimilated it so much that I just didn't even remember why I thought these things or why I acted in this way and, and all that. And I, I recognized I had, I had plateaued um, through the lens of uh, this young missionary associate. And so I was really grateful for that, uh, uh, that enlightenment. So uh, my question is, uh, in regards to this tendency to plateau, what can global workers do to continue to grow uh, in their proficiency and uh, in cultural understanding and to always be a lifelong learner? Yeah, good question. You know, a couple things come to mind. First, I think we can always keep learning language. 
We could learn a specific uh, vocabulary or try a different method or maybe there's a dialect in your area that would help you to connect better to the people and another thing we could do is we could do ethnographic studies now that's just a big word for pick a topic of interest and learn all that you can through local people you know maybe you want to learn about marriage family parenting births deaths gender roles decision making the list goes on and on, anything you can think of, what does this culture think about that? Like take, for example, an easy topic like food. It's a common everyday thing, we see it all the time, but we can learn a lot about the culture by asking good questions about food. We can ask, what are the common foods? Are there certain polite manners to use while eating? How do you show that you like the food? Does the family eat together? Who eats first? Who cooks the food? If there's a shortage of food, who eats first? Mm. What's the worst thing that you can think of eating? Are there foods that should be avoided or should be eaten by sick people, pregnant women, children, the elderly? You know, um, when we were in Madagascar, we had a Malagasy family over for dinner and I served chicken. And Caleb, our son was about 11, he reached into the pot and grabbed a piece of chicken. <laughs> And one of the Malagasy women took it away from him and gave it to um, the oldest person at the table. And we noticed it, but, you know, Caleb just took another piece of chicken. And, well, as we began to ask questions and, and dig deeper, we learned that Malagasy's always give the back piece of any meat, which Caleb had grabbed the back piece of the chicken. They give that piece to the oldest person at the table because it has the most tender meat. And they want to show honor and respect to the elder, the, to the, their elders by giving them that piece of meat. So what looks like, you know, it's just a question about food. We start with the outer layer of the onion, things that we see. But as we ask those questions, we move into behavior and values and worldview. I remember getting to fly down to Monte Carlo, uh, Tammy and Paul and Christina Balela were down there. And I, when I landed, I told him, I said, uh, Missionary Paul, I'm so excited. Missionary Balela, I'm so excited to get to eat some good fish. And he said, oh, why would you want to eat fish? And I said, oh, I love fish. Fish is great. He said, well, he said, I don't like the snake of the water and um, I don't eat that. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, I grew up where I grew up. That's what poor people ate was fish. We, we raised cows. Cows were important to us. Beef, that's what you wanted to eat. You didn't eat the snake of the water. And it was an insight. It was over food, a, a quick conversation piece I just said I'm excited to get some fresh fish but it gave me an insight into his culture his background and what he and I wouldn't feed him fish if he came to my house in the future so. that's right a good lesson learned <laughs> for sure so Tammy being a lifelong learner um, what is what is a resource or a book um, or something that you or resources that you could point us that we maybe want to grow we want to grow in these areas that you would point us to that you found well, you know, most of us like to take personality tests, whether it's the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs or even the DISC assessment. We learn more about ourselves. And, and then if, you know, if our family members or our team take it, we learn more about them and then how to interact together. Well, in the same way, cultures have a group personality characterized by their tendencies based on their values and worldviews. And so um, we found a great little book called 3D Gospel. It's by Jason George. And he 
He's a global worker with another organization. But the book is written on the premise that there are three emotional responses to sin or doing something wrong. So if a person does something wrong, they will feel either guilt, shame, or fear, depending on the worldview of their culture. And so Jason George took this idea and he created a model of cultures based on these three emotional reactions. And I like the model for three reasons. First, it's simple and easy to remember. It just has three parts. The second, it, it addresses the interior values um, rather than the exterior behaviors. It gets to the heart of the matter right away. So let's look at the three different culture types. There's the guilt-innocent cultures. The emotional response of guilt fits an individualistic society because guilt does not need an audience. If I do something wrong, I feel guilty because of my conscience. I don't need anybody from the outside telling me. I already know. And, and then when I feel guilty, it, kick, it moves me toward action. I want to do something. I want to do enough good things to counterbalance the wrong thing that I did. The shame-honor culture, <clears throat> shame and honor are based on how we perceive others' opinion of us. So it's what I think you're thinking about me. And this emotional response fits a group or a collectivistic society where the highest value is relational harmony. And when a person does something wrong, they not only bring shame on themselves, they bring shame on their whole group because they broke that harmony. You know, guilt says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. And removing that shame requires more than forgiveness. Uh, a shamed person cannot restore their own honor. They need a person of higher status to restore their honor, just like the father so graciously did for the prodigal son in Luke 15. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. And the fear power cultures, this fits the, the animistic cultures who live in fear of displeasing spiritual powers, such as their ancestors or other unseen powers in this world. They desire to placate or gain favor by the spiritual powers by keeping rules and avoiding taboos. They're always seeking a higher power to act on their behalf. Mm. You know, after we read this book, we went to church just that same week, and the Tanzanian pastor stood up in the pulpit and said, the purpose of the gospel is power over darkness. I thought, oh, Jason George is on to something. You know, the third reason that I like this model is because there's a theological implication. There is a strong bridge to the gospel in each culture type. And when a person reads the Bible, different verses are going to pop up to them as being the most important, depending on their cultural lens. I love that the Bible addresses all three cultural types. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active is true, not just for my guilt-innocent culture, but also for a fear-power culture or a shame-honor culture. And so when I read the Bible, 1 John 1, 9 sticks out to me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, because my primary need is forgiveness. But if a person from a shame-honor culture, when they read the Bible, they're going to notice Romans 10, 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame because their primary need is honor. 
But a person from a fear power culture, their favorite verse might be Colossians 1.13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Because they're looking for power and freedom. And so the, the word of God um, addresses all three. It's good. That is good. You know, it's important to note that the 3D gospel model does not replace the gospel message that we grew up with. It just expands it to include other cultures. And so as we are, you know, sharing with our neighbor or preaching or teaching, we need to be aware of not only what is my lens, but what is the lens of the people I'm speaking with? Because we want to communicate in a way that they not only understand it, but that it addresses their felt need. If we don't address their felt need, they won't see themselves in the story and they won't accept the gospel. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they'll, you know, I'm presenting the gospel in a guilt, um, a guilt innocent lens, and they do have some guilt in their life. And so they, they do under, they attach to it a bit and they accept Christ. But then when a need happens in their life, like someone in their family gets sick or there's an emergency, they don't know that Jesus can answer that because I didn't tell them. Hmm. And so they're going to go back to their traditional practices. They're going to go back yeah. to the witch doctor who has the power to yeah. answer that question. Yeah. And so we need to give them the gospel through the lens that addresses their need. That's good. And the, and the witch doctor can answer it in three questions, whether he or she is right, right or wrong, <laughs> right, wrong or indifferent. They can answer the, answer the question. But no, Tammy, you know, I've, I've read this book. Um, you, you and Nate recommended it. And man, I think if I'd have read it maybe 20 years ago, I might have made a lot less mistakes and honestly had a lot more grace and a lot more mm. mercy and insight and became more of a learner that rather than a judger. And I think it's, uh, there's been, is, is he so eloquently lays out, it makes perfectly, it makes perfect sense, but I just didn't know that. And I was coming through right. one lens and it was this, the way it was going to be. And this is what my culture background was. And, um, I'm not making excuses for myself it, it, and I'm responsible for it. I own it, but man, if I'd have read this book 20 years ago, I think it would have, yeah, this would have been, um, would have, could have, could have, would have, should have been a person of a lot more <laughs> grace and mercy in the process. So, I think all of us are in that boat. Um, and, you know, it's a short read. We could read the book in less than an hour. And even knowing it takes, it's going to take us a lifetime to figure out and apply. Hey, uh, I, uh, this, this really resonates with me. And, and I would, echo the same sentiments that Aaron expressed. Oh, I wish I would have known these concepts uh, starting out as a missionary. And um, I think we're going to drill down a little bit more on this in another podcast. Uh, so I'm just going to make a, a little bit of a promo. We're going to have Randy Tarr come on and we're going to drill down a little bit more about this whole, uh, this whole concept of fear and power uh, and shame and honor, because I think those are the two that kind of, um, yes you know, that, that we see generally uh, across Africa. Uh, but I think Jason George has a website too um, that we can go to if, th if this is something that interests us more. Can you tell us uh, something about, about his website and how, uh, what, how beneficial that might be to us? He does have a website. It's the honorshame.com. And there you can get a free PDF of this book, the 3D 
um, gospel, or you also can get it on Amazon in a paper book or a Kindle book. Um, but also on his website, um, or you can go directly to theculturetest.com, and he offers a 25-question quiz to help you determine um, your home or your host culture's lens. And when you take the quiz, if, don't take it for yourself. It's not, I mean, you can if you want to, but it's designed for culture, not individuals. Um, and so take it as if you were taking it for America, or take it as if you were taking it for Madagascar, Tanzania, or uh, Congo, wherever it is you're serving. Or if you have a friend there um, who speaks English, um, have them take it. And um, it, it gives us, it, that you'll get a percentage of each um, cultural lens. And, and that's the thing too, there's no, there's no culture that is all one or another. They're, they're a mixture. So um, we don't want to, you know, a model um, describes but does not define a culture. That's good. It's good. It, it's descriptive, not prescriptive for sure. And um, it's a, I would have loved to have taken this test in 2003 and then taken yeah. it maybe in 2015 <laughs> and then maybe taken it again today. Uh, you know, e even as you talked about language learning, Tammy, I remember when I was doing some of my writings even yeah, a year ago and um, I was finding myself moving more and more towards the passive voice, which in America, at least American U.S., academic writing, they do not, um, it's not highly looked upon to write in the passive voice. And um, they kept saying, you know, you got, you got to change this, change this. But it was amazing how in an amount of time that my mind had went, that was the way I was communicating because that's, I'm not perfect. And I'm not saying I'm a cultural sage. I'm just saying it had affected me to the point that even in my writings, I had moved towards that direction of being in a passive voice rather than putting the emphasis on me or the person I was writing about or whatever. So it's good stuff. That's a beautiful example of um, when we want to drop 25% of our home culture in order to add yeah. our host culture, we're becoming more than we were. Yeah. And, uh, we don't even know what's happening. Mm -hmm. That is true. My hair does because yeah. it's I'm losing it and uh, <laughs> it's gray. So and my hair and head does know that it's happening. It's uh, and sometimes it's, sometimes it's been a painful process. So, Pat or Tammy, do you have any more to add before we ask Tammy to to pray for us and pray for all of us as we learn and in building relationships and walking in culture and language and all those things? I think it'd be very powerful for Tammy to pray for all of us. But Pat or Tammy, do you have anything more to add before we move into prayer? I uh, no, this has been a great uh, a great discussion, and you know, and if there's probably the only thing I could add. Um, is that we just that we be uh, question askers? Uh, you know, a good question will always serve us better uh, than arriving at a at a judgment. Uh, and so, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, the emphasis on being a learner and and learning to ask good questions and let somebody teach you something. So, Tammy, thank you so much for uh, just uh, sharing with us today and. Really, as people are listening, if they want to know more, um, boy, Tammy is our uh, serves on this global competency, and her and her team would be happy to uh, point you in the right direction if if you want to grow more in this area. So, thank you, Tammy, for being with us today. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. And I, you know, my prayer as I pray, 
let's just keep growing and never assume we know it all. There's always something new to learn and the joy of discovery. Amen. Will you pray for us, Tammy? Yes. Father, I thank you um, that we could come together and talk today about culture and um, cultural understanding. Lord, I thank you for this podcast. I thank you for Aaron and his vision um, to start it. And I pray that you would use it not only in Africa, but global workers around the world and and our supporting churches and stakeholders. Lord, um, thank you for this podcast. And today, Lord, I pray for first term global workers. And I pray for those of us who've been on the field for a while, Lord, help us to stay curious and humble and open. Help us to suspend judgment um, until we learn more. Lord, we thank you for the gracious people that we work with, that they um, put up with us butchering their language because they want to connect with us. And so I pray that you would help us to take risks and engage and keep moving forward. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Amen.